You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. I have titled the message this morning, Sovereignty in the Chaos. Sovereignty in the Chaos. Whose sovereignty are we talking about? God's sovereignty in the chaos. Uh, How many of you look at the world sometimes and go, it is getting crazy. Uh, What is going on? Uh, Well, I am so encouraged that even in the midst of radical chaos, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And today we're going to see that in a big and uh, powerful way. Uh, If you are new with us and you haven't been with us each week, we go through the Bible verse by verse. Uh, And so let me set the stage of where we are. We're picking up right where we left off last week. Um, And here's where we're at. Uh, There's a guy named Jacob. He is a swindler. Uh, If he was alive today, he'd be a used car salesman. I'm already in trouble. No offense to the used car salesman. Uh, I just mean, I just mean he's a shyster, right? Uh, again, I'm getting myself. Okay, let me start over. Hello, my name is David. Uh, uh, so uh, I, I'm speaking tongue in cheek, uh, but he was a shyster. Uh, his name actually means a, a swindler or a deceiver, and he lived up to his name, but. God's hand is upon him. You see, we have a holy God who dwells with sinners and calls us to himself and transforms our life and transforms our character and takes us from being selfish and sinful into understanding God's love and walking in character, godly character, as he transforms our life. This is what God does. And Jacob is a picture of us. God's covenant is upon this family. It started with Abraham. God made a covenant with this man named Abraham. Abraham then had Isaac. That covenant then went to Isaac. And then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And that covenant went to Jacob, not Esau. Why? Well, they were twins. Jacob was the younger, not the firstborn, the second. God showing that his election is not by genealogy, not by birth order, not by anything other than God's sovereign will. God chose Jacob. Jacob wasn't better than Esau. As a matter of fact, Jacob was worse than Esau. But God called him to himself, and God is going to transform his life. And we are watching this transformation process happen in Jacob's life. Right now, it's still got a long way to go. Uh, Jacob uh, tried to deceive his father, tried to swindle his brother, and his brother then wants to kill him. So Jacob uh, is instructed by mom and dad to go to Haran and to get a a wife there in Haran while brother cools off so that he doesn't kill him. So Jacob goes to Haran 
and he falls in love with this beautiful woman named Rachel. The Bible doesn't often talk about outward beauty, but it does about Rachel. It says she was beautiful in form and appearance. She was stunningly beautiful. And he saw her and he fell in love with her. And uh, he comes to Laban, uh, her father, who, by the way, was as much of a swindler as Jacob. And he says, I will work seven years for your daughter. So Jacob works seven years for Rachel. And the Bible says it seemed as if it was just a few days he was so in love with her. Oh, you know, so, so romantic. So it's time. It's time. The seven years happens. It's now time to get married. And in that culture, in Jewish culture, they would have a seven-day wedding, wedding feast. And it was the first day of the wedding feast. Rachel, there she is in all of her beauty, dressed as a beautiful bride, the wedding gown. Jacob, he has his wedding attire on. And they get married. They have a ceremony. All the big, you know, big, huge feast. Everybody there. And it comes time on the first night to consummate the marriage. And there, uh, Jacob goes into the tent. It's dark. And his father-in-law, Laban, does the unthinkable. There in the darkness of night, he switches his daughters he puts his firstborn, Leah. Her name means wild cow. <laughs> Rachel, her name means ewe lamb. And he switches ewe lamb for wild cow. And he dresses Leah, wild cow, in the wedding attire and slips her into the tent. No electricity. Jacob, the groom, comes into his tent. He's excited. She's pretending to be someone else. He wakes up in the morning next to wild cow. And he says, what have you done? Oh, how horrible. What a deception. And here we saw last week, God puts a mirror in front of Jacob. And he shows him who? Himself. For Jacob had dressed up as his sibling and deceived his father and pretended to be the other sibling. And Jacob is irate. Isn't it interesting how our sin looks so much worse on someone else? <laughs> and God shows him a mirror of himself. And he goes to Laban and he says, you have deceived me. How could you do this to me? And Laban says, well, don't you know, in our culture, we honor the firstborn, and we put the firstborn first. We don't deceive the firstborn, and Jacob's sin is exposed. And so that's where we pick up our story. It would be an epic movie. I would love to see uh, this be brought into a movie. We're picking up right where we left off on the verse we left off, which is chapter 29, verse 30. If you're there, give me a big amen. amen. Genesis 29, verse 30. Bible's open, pen in hand. Uh, let's pray as we open God's word. Lord, we open your word. We ask you to speak to us. We ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us to truth and insights 
about your holiness and who you are and about us and how to walk with you. Even in our, uh, our sinful state, Lord, we know you want to redeem us and transform us. Have your way with us now and open our eyes. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Verse 30. So Jacob also went into Rachel. Uh, I guess let me set that up. After he comes to Laban, Laban says, relax, relax. I'll give you Rachel, my daughter, also. Uh, you can marry her also. But you're going to have to work for me for another seven years. You see, I told you Jacob met his match in Laban. Uh, Laban was a swindler too. And he wanted Jacob to work for him for another seven years because Jacob has, was making him a lot of money. You see, Jacob was a hard worker. And not only that, God's hand of blessing was on Jacob's life, undeservingly on Jacob's life. And so Laban was getting rich off of Jacob. And he thought, ah, oh, I'll do the wife switcheroo and he'll have to work for me for another seven years. Is that, is that wicked or what? Uh, but that was Laban's plan. So verse 30. So Jacob also went into Rachel. He had relations with her. And he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, unloved by who? By Jacob, by her husband. He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Or in other words, God saw Leah. And he had compassion on her. He knew, oh, what a horrible thing to be with a man who doesn't love you. And so God poured his favor on her and was gracious to her. And he's going to begin working in her life to comfort her. Verse 32. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she named his name Reuben. I want you to circle Reuben. Uh, here's why. Uh, Jacob, uh, God is doing a work. God has called Jacob, and even though he's a swindler, God is going to transform his character. And God is going to make Jacob into a great nation. God is going to change Jacob's name to Israel. Not yet. He's not ready yet. Uh, Jacob means trickster or swindler. Israel means governed by God. Is, Jacob is not governed by God yet. Uh, but ultimately, he's going to bring him there. And he's going to give him... 12 sons. How many of you have ever heard the expression, the 12 tribes of Israel? Well, here's where it comes from. Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and Jacob is going to have 12 sons. These sons will become the 12 tribes of Israel, and through them, God will build a mighty nation. Understand? So the firstborn son, his name is what? Reuben. And do you know what Reuben means? You might want to write this down right next to the name. It means Behold a son. God gave Leah a son and she says, names him Reuben. Behold a son, right? Uh, so that's where we're at. For she said, the Lord. And notice this, she uses the word capital L, capital O, capital R-D. That means Yahweh, Jehovah, which means that Leah is becoming a believer. Leah is understanding who God is. She is actually more righteous uh, more godly, it would appear, than even Rachel. Uh, and she says, the Lord has surely looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. That is so sad. 
She loves Jacob. And she wants Jacob to what? Love her. And she says, oh, now maybe that I have a son, maybe he'll what? Maybe he'll love me. Oh, how sad. Verse 33, then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord Yahweh has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon, circle Simeon. And his name means here. Oh, the Lord has heard that I'm unloved. And so she names him Simeon here, right? And here we see once again, she just wants her husband to uh, love her and to hear her. Then she conceived again, verse 34, and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me or cleave to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, she called his name Levi, the third son, circle Levi, which means attach or cleave, right? And she says, oh, maybe he'll, he'll, maybe he'll cleave to me now. And, and uh, uh, oh, what a sad story. Is this not sad? Oh, how incredibly sad. Uh, we see this uh, just difficult situation. Um, uh, why? Why is all this going on? Uh, why does she feel unloved? Here's why. Because Jacob is a selfish man. He's not a good spiritual leader. He is misusing his wife. He can see she's heartbroken. And yet, uh, he is not doing a good job here. And we see that um, uh, radical dysfunction in this family. Why? Why is there so much radical dysfunction in this family? Here's why. Because Jacob is a poor spiritual leader. And poor male leadership in a family causes major family dysfunction. This family is really dysfunctional. And it is because Jacob is not walking with God. Poor male leadership causes severe family dysfunction. And because Leah is not properly loved by her husband, she attempts to earn love by performance. And may I say, that is so messed up. That is so dysfunctional. She attempts to earn love by performance. How sad. Why? Because real love cannot be what? It cannot be earned. It cannot be bought. Real love cannot be earned. Uh, This is a sad situation. And I find that in today's culture, nothing has changed. There are far too many women today striving to earn love by their, by, by their performance, by being skinny enough, by being pretty enough, by being sexy enough, by going through all kinds of gyrations, man. I mean, fillers and procedures and all kinds of things, dieting and striving and trying to find the right shoes and the right purse and the right this and the right that. And you know what's really sad about it all? Selfish men will let them do it. Jacob sees Leah's heart is broken, and he just lets it keep happening. He keeps sleeping with her, but he doesn't love her. How sad. 
Ladies, I want you to know, you do not have to perform to earn love. That is not love. And if you are in a relationship like that, can I just tell you plainly? Get out. Get out. That is not a healthy relationship. If you're not married, get out. If you are in a relationship like that and you are married, what should you do? Well, realize that it's radically dysfunctional. And instead of keep trying to earn his love, which isn't love at all, bring it to the table. Bring it to the light. Bring it to the truth. Talk about it. And uh, start making some adjustments uh, so that we can, you can get in a spot where you can actually have real love in this relationship. Seek some counsel. Uh, we have uh, pastoral counseling here at the church. Uh, there's a lot of other good resources. But make some changes. Do not stay in a dysfunctional relationship like that. Get it right. Jacob is a selfish, manipulating man. He is using Leah. I'm not saying he's doing it consciously, but he's so selfish that he uses her subconsciously. He sees that she's hurting, and instead of giving her love, he just says, hope you get it figured out. And he continues to sleep with her. That is messed up, and that is not love. And it's not healthy for either of them. And I want you to know, it is virtually impossible for a man to love a woman properly unless he is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Why? Why is that? Because in order to love properly, we have to first learn what proper love is. Uh, If you've ever met a deaf person, I find it so interesting Uh, They can't hear, obviously, right? They're deaf. But not only can they not hear, but they cannot what? They cannot speak. Why can't they speak? There is nothing wrong with their vocal cords. Their vocal cords are perfectly fine, but they cannot speak. Why? Because they can't hear. And in order to love properly, you have to first be loved properly. And the only way that can happen is to make Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior. When you understand that love is not earned. God loved me when I was an enemy against him. God pursued me when I was a total sinner. God went to a cross for me and died on the cross for me and made a provision to make me healthy and whole when I was against him and he pursued me. And Jesus said that of all his disciples, all of his followers, you did not choose me, I chose you. And I didn't choose you because I need something out of you. No, no, no. I chose you because I love you and I set my affection on you. And when you understand that great love, you will then be born again and be able to love others properly. And to be moved from being so incredibly selfish like a Jacob and actually be moved into 
Israel, a man governed by God, a woman governed by God, who can love selflessly. You do not have to earn love. That is a bad relationship. Lisa and I work hard at loving each other, doing things for each other. But we don't do it to earn each other's love. We do it because we love each other. It is my delight to bless her. And it is her delight to bless me. And this is God's design for marriage. Marriage is meant to be where one person comes to another. Imagine this. Just, just hypothetically. Imagine this. A design where you would do life with a person that said, all I want to do is bless you. I'm not looking for anything for me. I just want to bless you. And this person says, oh, no, no, no. I just want to bless you. And all I want to do is bless you. And now you have God's design for marriage. Because I love you, I want to bless you. And Leah is not able to experience any of that. Uh, in premarital counseling, which we do here at the church, one of the first things that I want young couples to learn is do not think that by getting married, now your life will be completed. That now you'll meet someone else and now you'll be complete. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you are not complete in Jesus Christ and his love for you, nothing you can add to your life will ever complete you. And when you are complete in Jesus' love for you, uh, well then, uh, uh, your life is valuable. You have joy. And then you're ready to enter into marriage. And then you know how to love properly. And so being, uh, having Jesus as your Lord and Savior is one of the most important things about having a, a good relationship with and loving others. Um, uh, please put that previous slide back up for me. Um, uh, poor male leadership will cause major family dysfunction. And, and here we see that uh, just so apparent in, in Jacob's life, in Leah's life, in Rachel's life. Uh, and it's really sad. Um, uh, it appears, though, good news, it appears that Leah is growing in her relationship with the Lord. You see, the first three names of her children revealed that she was trying to earn her husband's love. And we will see by the names that she gives her next children that she is growing in her understanding of God's love for her. Uh, take a look. Uh, let's pick up uh, verse 35 right where we left off. And she, that's Leah, conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Praise Yahweh, Jehovah. Therefore she called his name Judah. Uh, Judah means what? Judah means praise praise and now she praises the lord what's happening oh she's not saying oh i'm trying to earn my husband's love now she's just going you know what i am really loved by god and i'm just so thankful for the all that he's giving me and this child he's giving me and i just want to praise the lord uh and she praises the lord then it says she stopped bearing that's only for a for a little while uh, uh she stops bearing uh verse uh, chapter 30 now when rachel we're going to move to rachel now now when rachel saw that she had bore jacob no children rachel envied her sister and said to jacob Give me children or else I die. Uh, how would you like that? 
give me children or else I die. What does this reveal about Jacob and Rachel's relationship? What does this reveal about this house? There is some turmoil, man. There is just constant turmoil in Jacob's house. Uh, she's jealous of Leah. Leah's got three boy, four boys now. And she's like, hey, give me children or I die. Now, verse 2, and Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God? Notice Jacob uses the word what? God instead of Yahweh. Interesting. Interesting. Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So she said... Here is my maid, Bela. Go into her, have relations with her, and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. Here's what we see. Is this going to help the situation? No, 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 no. More chaos. And here's what we see. Sin produces more sin. Sin always produces more sin. This is like the worst thing that could happen. Then she gave him Belah, her maid, as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Belah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged, or really more accurately, God has vindicated my case. And he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan, circle Dan. And Dan in Hebrew means judged or vindicated. Uh, uh, she calls his name Dan. And Rachel's maid, Bela, concealed, con conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And then Rachel said, with great wrestlings or with great struggle, I have struggled or wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. And so she called his name Naphtali. Naphtali means my struggle. Uh, and it actually means prevailing over a struggle, right? Uh, uh, she called his name Naphtali, uh, uh, my struggle. Uh, here's some interesting things that we see. Uh, Rachel is barren. Sound familiar? Rachel is barren just like who? Oh, just like Abraham and Sarah. You see, Rachel was the bride that Jacob really loved. Rachel was the bride that God had for Jacob. And just like Abraham and Sarah, Rachel is barren. Abraham and Sarah were barren. They were barren their whole lives. God came to them at 75 years old, and they had never had kids. And God says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Wow. Uh, Sarah then goes into menopause and thinks, well, I guess we misunderstood God. How are we going to be a great nation now? So they get Hagar, and uh, Abraham goes into Hagar, and God says, no, 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 that was not my will. I know Sarah went through menopause. You're still going to have a son through her. Abraham then goes impotent. He's now 100 years old, and at 100 years of old, 100 years of age, God does a miracle Abraham can perform again. Sarah can conceive again. At 100 years of age, they conceive and have a child. Why does God do that? Why make it so hard? Here's why. So that we would learn it's not by might. 
it's not by power, but it's by God's spirit this work is done. He's trying to teach the nation Israel that from the beginning. And so Sarah, God choosing a woman who was barren, was intentional. Now they have a child, Isaac, and he marries Rebekah. And Rebekah is what? Barren. They're married for 20 years and they have no kids. But Isaac learns from his dad's faith. And he, know, he believes God's promise that they're going to be a great nation. And he does not go get a, a handmaid. He does not go get a surrogate wife. And he prays. And God blesses them with a child. And that child was Jacob and Esau. And now Jacob, uh, uh, he should know these things. Uh, Sarah is barren, but it's only for a season. God will give her children. And if Jacob and Rachel would believe God's word and have faith in God that they were going to be a great nation, they could have saved themselves from a lot of pain, from a ton of pain. Bringing Bela into the mix now, how many wives do we have now? Three. Three. We're just pouring fuel on the fire. Uh, a big mess. And church, I want you to know something. To stand strong in faith, God's word must be in our heart. God had made promises to Jacob. Jacob had heard these stories his whole life. And yet God's word was not where? In his heart. He wasn't teaching it to Rachel. He wasn't holding on to it. And because he wasn't holding on to it, he could not stand strong in faith. And chaos and pain and suffering in his life is the result. When God called Joshua to follow him, uh, Joshua was Moses' assistant. And when Moses died, God called Joshua to take Moses' place in leadership. Big shoes to fill, man. Big shoes. And God comes to Joshua and he tells him these words. This book of the law, the Bible, my word. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night. How, long, how often is that? All the time. You shall meditate in it day and night that you might learn to do according to all that is written therein. For then... You will have good success, and then you will be prosperous. Have not I commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What's that, God? What's that, Joshua? Here's what God's saying. Listen, hide my word in your heart. Meditate, it, meditate on it all the time. Why? Because life is going to come against you. There's going to be difficult things you go through. There's going to be circumstances where you're barren, and it's going to look like God's not working in your life. But hold on to my word. I'm faithful. I will bring it to pass. And if you do not hold my word in your heart, you will not stand in the day of trial. You will crumble. Jacob's crumbling. Leah's crumbling. They're not holding God's word in their heart, and it's causing them a ton of pain. God had promised Jacob, Jacob, I'm going to make you a great nation. Jacob could have never gone into any other woman, and even though Rachel was barren, God would have given them 12 tribes of Israel out of Rachel, and their whole house would have been so much more in order. But instead, he's walking in sin, and he's paying a huge price. Jacob's own parents... Uh, 
grandparents, he, he heard the stories his whole life about Grandpa Abraham and the big mistake of taking Hagar. He should have known. Jacob's whole life, he heard the story of his mom and dad, Isaac and Rebekah, and how they waited on the Lord, and how he didn't make the mistake of finding a Hagar, and how God blessed them, and he was the child of that blessing. He should have known. He should have held on to God's promises, and he should have led his wife so that she was holding on to God's promises. Instead, he's walking in a ton of pain. Huge mistake. Here's a question. Rachel comes along and says, Jacob, I want kids. Give me kids or I'm going to die. And she says, go into my, hand, into my handmaid, Bila. Why didn't Jacob just say no? No. No, woman, no. Why? 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 He didn't have God's word in his heart. And he wanted to take the easy way out. She's nagging me all the time. She's nagging me all the time. She's crying on her pillow all the time. She wants kids. Maybe this will fix that problem. Furthermore, I wouldn't mind sleeping with another woman. And here's what the Bible says. There is a way that seems right to a man. And it ends in death. It ends in ruin. It ends in destruction. And Jacob... Not hiding God's word in his heart, not holding on to the promises of God, being a selfish man. Hey, another woman, let's do it. I'll have, maybe it'll be great. She'll quit nagging me. She'll have a kid. I'll have another wife to sleep with. Well, it doesn't bring anything but more dysfunction into his life. Uh, crazy, just utter chaos. Um, now, may we not raise our self-righteous noses at their sinful dysfunction? And say, I can't believe they did that. What the heck? Uh, may I remind you of something? Polygamy was a cultural norm in that day. Now, it's a total sin. God designed marriage to be one man and one woman as one flesh. Right? God's design. But polygamy was a cultural norm. Uh, uh, and and uh, it seemed normal to them. Uh, I want you to know... There are a lot of cultural norms in our generation that are downright sinful. Can you think of any? How about HBO? That's a cultural norm. It's sinful. How about drugs? How about alcohol? How about bars? Those are cultural norms. They're sinful. How about premarital sex? That's a cultural norm. It's sinful. How about materialism? How about yoga pants? <laughs> That's a cultural norm. It's sinful. How about LGBTQ? How about Vegas? How about bathing suits that aren't? <laughs> That's a cultural norm. It's sinful. How about crazy plastic surgeries? We're, history is going to look back at this generation if this world continues and go, what the heck were they thinking? They were putting implants. They were like, <laughs> what the heck were they? Those things were busting. They were unhealthy, causing major sickness. Crazy. 
Hey, there are a lot of cultural norms. And if you walk in them because you just think it's a cultural norm, I want you to know it'll bring the same pain and dysfunction as Jacob's cultural norm that he's bringing into his life. It doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. These cultural norms are dangerous and they will bring tons of pain into your life. Polygamy was, was not God's will. It was a sin and it brought all kinds of dysfunction into Jacob's life. And so were the cultural norms that we're in. Uh, I want to cover some ground with you, though. We got something really cool to see here. Uh, look at verse 9. Let's follow on. Uh, Leah is going to bring more dysfunction into the family, uh, as if we haven't had enough. Verse 9, when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid. By the way, God will, will give Leah more children. She would have just waited in faith. Uh, uh, she gave Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Jacob said, sure. Sure. Now we have how many? Four wives. Oy vey. Oy vey. It's hard to keep one happy. Amen. Ladies, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Gary, you weren't supposed to amen that. <laughs> Verse 10. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, a troop comes. Uh, what she's really saying is, a troop invades and gives victory. That's what she's really saying. Uh, so she called his name Gad. Gad means overcome with good fortune. Uh, uh, this translation here isn't the best. Uh, all the other translations use a different word here. I'll show it. Here's a couple of translations for you on the screen. Same verse. Then Leah said, good fortune has come. And so she called his name Gad. Gad means good fortune, right? Uh, uh, here's another translation. Leah named him Gad, for she said, how fortunate am I? And so uh, she names him Gad, which means overcome or good fortune. Uh, verse 12. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, I am happy. For the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher. Circle Asher. And Asher means happy. Happy. Uh, great name, Asher. Uh, and now, uh, so these kids are coming out, right? And we get an idea of time frame here. How much time is happening to have all these kids be born. Verse 14. Now Reuben, uh, that is Leah's firstborn. He's now a toddler. Uh, Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field. So little Reuben is out there playing in the fields and he finds these mandrakes. And he brought them to his, mom, his mother Leah. Mommy, look what I found. And Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Uh, why did Rachel want the mandrakes? Uh, well, here's why. Uh, in that culture, they believe mandrakes were an aphrodisiac. And they believe that mandrakes increased fertility. And what does Rachel want? She wants children. So she sees these mandrakes and she thinks they increase fertility. She goes, oh, where'd you find those? Give me those, right? Verse 15. But she said to her, uh, this is Leah saying to Rachel, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? 
Would you also take away my mandrakes also? Uh, what does this reveal about this relationship, about this home? Constant dysfunction, constant turmoil, constant arguing, everyday life. Uh, oh, what? You want to steal my mandrakes too? You already stole my husband? I mean, that, that's the tenor, right? And Rachel said, uh, they make a deal. Uh, and then Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. Rachel says, hey, I tell you what, Leah, I'll let Jacob sleep with you tonight if you give me those mandrakes. So here we learn something that Rachel was wife number one, right? She was the controlling wife. She was the wife who, uh, and uh, so she makes a deal with her. Uh, so verse 16, so Jacob came out of the field in the evening, he comes home from work. And Leah comes up to him as he comes home from work. And she says, you're going you're gonna to come with me tonight. For I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he laid with her that night. Uh, how would you like to teach this passage as a pastor? <laughs> but this is the benefit of going through the Bible verse by verse. We're going to see some profound things. Uh, uh, so Jacob goes into her that night. Verse 17. And God listened to Leah. And she conceived. Uh, she had been, uh, hadn't had kids for a while. She conceived again and bore Jacob a fifth son. And then Leah said, God has given me my wages. Uh, the word wages there is the Hebrew word sakar. Everybody say sakar. Sakar. It means reward. Reward. God has given me my reward, sakar. Because I have given my maid to my husband, and so she called his name Issachar, or Issachar. Uh, and it means he is, excuse me, he will bring a reward. So she says, God has given me my reward, and she names her son, he will bring a reward. Uh, then Leah conceived again, and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And so she called his name Zebulun. Zebulun means honor or favor and dwelling. And so she names him Zebulun, honor and dwelling. Uh, afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Uh, well, let's go on for time's sake. I was going to stop here, but we don't have time. I, there's some things I wanted to unpack there with you, but we'll, for time's sake, we'll move on. Uh, verse 22. So God remembers Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. Oh, here Rachel conceives. Rachel conceives. And what if she just would have waited for this moment? This was God's plan all along. God planned on giving her children. Here God opens her womb and she conceives. Would have saved a ton of hassle, man. Verse 23. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. She believes God's going to give her more children. Joseph means he will add to me. So she believes God's going to bless her with more kids. Oh, God's allowed me to conceive now. I'm going to have more kids. He will add to me, she names him, Joseph. Um, and it came to pass, when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, 
send me away that I might go to my own place and to my own country. That's the promised land, right? Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go. For you know my service, which I have done for you. You know how much money I've made you, how blessed you are. And he has worked with him now for 14 years. He worked for Laban the first seven years to get Rachel. Then Laban did the switcheroo and he worked another seven years. And it's now been 14 years. He says, hey, my commitment is up. It's time for me to go. Verse 27, and Laban said to him, please stay, please stay. If I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, has blessed me for your sake. What what has Laban learned? What has he learned? Jacob, I see God's favor all over you. But here's what he's learned. He's only seen that materially. He's only seen that financially. He hasn't seen that in character or in wisdom or in discernment or in the knowledge of God's love. And Laban, uh, Laban still has other gods in his life. Jacob has been, not been a great witness. And Laban hasn't given his life fully to the Lord. Uh, Jacob hasn't been that good of witness to, for that to happen. Uh, but he says, listen, stay here. You have made me very wealthy. I can see God's hand is on you. And God, uh, Laban thinks that Jacob's God is like the God of materialism or something, right? Like the God of financial blessings. And uh, Laban says, verse 28, then he says to Jacob, name me your wages and I will give it. Uh, Jacob, anything you want. I want you to see something here. Something happened in Jacob's heart when Joseph was born. Something special happened in Jacob's heart. You see, Rachel was the wife that he truly loved. Rachel was the wife that God had for him. Rachel was the one that God moved his heart to just totally love her. Uh, They loved each other. And when Joseph was born, that child was extra special to him. We're going to learn, we're going to know... If you've been to Broadway, you already know Joseph has a coat, right? It's a coat of what? Many colors. What does that mean? It's the coat of the inheritance. It's the coat of the double portion of the inheritance because this was Jacob's treasure, his wife, the wife that he loves, Rachel, right? Uh, And so something happened in Jacob's heart, and now Jacob wants to go home. Where is home? Where is home? It is the promised land. It is the land that God wants to give him. And no doubt the Holy Spirit is drawing him. Jacob, it's time. Get out of this dysfunction. Come to the land where I've called you. Worship me. Walk with me. Come home to the promised land. And and let me bring my, my promises upon your life and build your life. And I want you to know something. Greed kept Jacob from the promised land. Jacob heard these words, name your wages. And that small, still voice that said, Jacob, get your family and get out of here and get into the place where God has you was squelched by the idle promise of what? Of money, of wealth. And Jacob won't go to the promised land for another seven years. 
even though God is calling him there right now. Greed kept Jacob from the promised land, and he'll have seven more years of turmoil. I want you to know the love of money is such a snare. And I can't help but wonder, take a look around, a room this big, how many men in this room, how many women in this room have heard the call to walk with God to the promised land, but the love of money has kept them from walking into that calling. Well, I will later. Right now, I want to make some money. Oh, the elusive deception of wealth. It cannot bring what you think it will bring. It cannot bring you life. It cannot bring you joy. It cannot build a home. It can't do anything. There's an interesting proverb just popped in my mind. I didn't plan on sharing this with you, but the Bible says, money, I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. It says money is a power. I'm going to paraphrase it. Money is horsepower and wisdom is a power. I'll just say it. Money is a power and wisdom is a power. Now I'm going to paraphrase it. Money is horsepower and wisdom is horsepower. But the excellence of wisdom is that it gives life to its owner. Money can't do that. You can fix a lot of problems with money. It's horsepower. But the excellence of wisdom is it gives life to its owner. What a, what a proverb. Uh, this elusive pursuit of money keeping Jacob out of where? Out of the promised land. Out of the center of God's will. Uh, may you be wise. May you be wise. Do not chase the elusive pursuit of wealth and put God off for it. Uh, I want to take you to one more passage. Uh, flip over to uh, Genesis 35, and here's why we're going here. Because Jacob has 11 sons right now. We've looked at 11 sons. How many tribes are there? 12. Well, I, want to, I want to show you the 12th tribe. Uh, jump ahead to chapter 35. And we're not skipping all these chapters. We'll come back to them. But just for right now, I want to, want, want to look at this 12th son. Chapter 35, find verse 16. When you're there, give me an amen. amen. Are you there? 35, 16. I'm still hearing pages turning. 35, 16. Then they journeyed from Bethel. And when uh, there, and when there, excuse me, I can't read for somebody. And when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had a hard labor. Now it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that her midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have this son also. And, it was, and so it was. As her soul was departing, for she died in childbirth, that she called his name Ben-Onai. Ben-Onai means son of my sorrow. She's in intense pain, hard labor. She knows she's dying. She's bleeding out. And she names the child before she dies, son of my sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin. Uh, uh, Jacob goes, that's a horrible name. I'm not going to curse my son with the name son of my sorrow his whole life. Rachel dies, and he changes the name from Ben-Onai. Ben means son, right? Ben, son, Onai, sorrow, son of my sorrow. And he changes his name to what? Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin. Benjamin means Ben, son of my right hand. Son of my right hand. Interesting. Son of sorrow is also son of my right hand. 
Guess who that's a picture of? Jesus. Jesus. Uh, Son of sorrow, the one that went to the cross. Uh, Here's a verse for you, Isaiah 53. Uh, Let me hear you read this. He was despised and rejected by man. A man of sorrows and acquainted with our grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. By the way, that verse, he has carried whose sorrows? Our sorrows. And the name of that boy, Ben Omi, son of my sorrow. Rachel speaking. Interesting. Um, Not only is he the son of our sorrows, he went to the cross. God became a man. And he died on the cross for our sin to purchase our redemption that he might give to us his righteousness to us as a free gift. Amazing. He became the son of sorrows. And he died on the cross. But he foretold all this would happen. And he foretold, after I die, I'm going to do something else. What did he say he would, what did he say he would do? I will resurrect on the third day. And on the third day, he resurrected. And he ascended up into heaven after 40 days of being on earth. And guess where he resurrected on heaven too? The right hand of the Father. Oh, my goodness. You'll remember Stephen, the first martyr in the book of Acts, the first martyr in the New Testament. He was being stoned as he's preaching a sermon about Jesus. And as the stones are pelting him, he looks up into the heavens and he goes, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He repeated Jesus' words on the cross and he went up into heaven. Wow. Uh, uh, Here's another verse for you. Uh, Psalm 110, uh, speaking of Jesus at the right hand. Uh, the Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, two lords, the Father and the Son, sit at, my, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Wow. Right now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father until all the enemies on earth are made his footstool. God, this Jesus is going to bring judgment on all the enemies. Then the, the, the Lord, Yahweh, shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Zion is Israel. Rule in the midst of your enemies. This is a prophetic passage about Jesus dying on the cross, sitting at the right hand of God, staying there until God sends him back to the earth to rule and reign over all of God's enemies and bring the millennial kingdom to the earth. And so here we see uh, this son has a big picture of Jesus. Uh, Let's go back to our passage now, and let's look at what we've seen. These are the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, born in total chaos. But a very interesting thing happens when you put the names of these 12 tribes of Israel together. I've been a Christian for 35 years seven years uh, uh, I've been a pastor a long time I've never read this I've never known this I just 
I found this as I was studying for this message, and I actually broke down and cried. It just moved me. Something powerful happens when you take these names of the 12 tribes of Israel, and you look at their meaning. Uh, Let me give you an example. Uh, uh, So Reuben, his name is Behold the Son, right? And Simeon, his name is Here. Do you understand the, the, the picture? Let's look at all of it now. Behold a son, hear him, cleave to him, praise him. He judged, vindicated my struggle, overcome with good fortune, happy he will bring a reward. Honor dwelling he will add, he is the son of my sorrow, the son of my right hand of God. amazing. I literally broke into tears when I discovered this. I'm like, God, you're amazing. I titled the message, God's sovereignty in the chaos. Here is Jacob totally out of control doing great and God's sovereign hand upon it all. I'm bringing my plan of salvation into fruition. And even Israel themselves cannot screw it up. God chose this guy. He says, I didn't choose you because you were the best, because you were the greatest. I chose you because you were the least of all. And I wanted my power made known in you. And God's sovereignty on display. The gospel of Jesus Christ revealed in the 12 tribes of Israel 2,000 years before Jesus. Put that next, uh, well, let's actually put that next slide up for me. Let's read it in a sentence one more time. Behold a son, hear him, cleave to him, praise him. He judged and vindicated my struggle. Overcome good for, with good fortune, happy he will bring a reward. Honor dwelling he will add. He is the son of my sorrow, the son of the right hand of God. Oh my goodness. The gospel of Jesus Christ revealed in the 12 tribes of Israel, or I should say concealed in the 12 tribes of Israel, God's sovereignty at work, even in the sinful chaos. And you might say, well, hey, random chance, coincidence. Really, you say? You think? Einstein once said, as he looked at all the laws of physics, all the laws of of nature, how everything is so perfectly designed, he used these words. God does not roll dice. God does not play dice. What is he saying? This isn't chance. That's what Einstein was saying. Oh, you say, okay, well then, conspiracy. They planned it. They planned it? Four women who couldn't even agree on where to have lunch? Who fought about everything? They planned it? I don't think so. Furthermore, they would have never put all these names into a sentence. They would have never thought of it. And even if they did, it would take 2,000 years to understand its meaning. God's sovereignly working. So God concealed all of this in the 12 tribes of Israel. For who? For who? For you. For me. For his people. The Bible says it is God's privilege to conceal a matter. It is a king's privilege to discover it. Wow. It is God's privilege to conceal a matter. 
it is a king's privilege or a wise man's privilege to discover it. Uh, God has hidden these things in the, in the scripture. Um, God, all, God did all of this to glorify Jesus. Uh, may we marvel at his sovereignty. Uh, Jesus would say, uh, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And here we see that to be true. Wouldn't you love to be one of the disciples with Jesus on the road to Emmaus as God unpa Jesus unpacked all of these things? Uh, just amazing. God is sovereign even in chaos. And I want you to know God's plan of salvation was laid out long before the world ever, ever began. And God is bringing into fruition exactly as he planned. Even in chaos, God is sovereign. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior of mankind. And I want you to know this. He saves all who come to him. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I have planned this out from the beginning of time, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Make a decision. Make a decision. Even in all your sovereignty, God can bring it to pass. Uh, I want you to know, it is hard to fathom a man more difficult for God to use than Jacob. And yet God has done this to display his sovereign power. If anything could mess up God's plan, it would be Jacob. And God says, I got this. Nothing can hinder my sovereignty and my plan of salvation from coming into existence. And so I want to leave you with this truth. Stand firm in your faith in Jesus Christ. And here's why I say this. Because the world is in chaos. Just like Jacob and Leah's life were in chaos... The world is in worse chaos. Have you seen what is happening? We have hell and Satan being worshipped at the Grammys. Flames of hell, guys dressed up as Satan. Uh, we got a woman in a short little miniskirt coming down in a cage. Dancing in a short little miniskirt as demons, people dressed up as demons, have whips and are whipping her and tormenting her as she lowers down. And then surprise of all surprises, the girl in the cage getting tormented by demons with whips is actually a man. And he's the one we give the award to and we praise. In New York, a statue was erected. A statue of the goddess of abortion. It's a beautiful woman's body with Satan ram's horns coming out of her head. And instead of arms, a ton of snakes coming out of both sides of her, as her arms. Her arms are a, a brood of vipers out of both sides. And her body is a beautiful woman's body. And we erected that and are worshiping Satan in, in a New York courthouse. Uh, oh, I don't have to tell you, there are so much things. Governments are corrupt. FBI is corrupt. Media is radically corrupt. Big tech is all corrupt. They're all in cahoots together. They're promoting evil. Drag queen story hour in kindergarten is cheered and supported. Eight-year-old boys are being groomed to be girls. Thirteen-year-old girls are getting hysterectomies and mastectomies, and we're ruining their lives forever. Uh, hundreds of violent criminals have said, I'm a woman, and are now in women's prisons, and they are locked in. These are sexual violent criminals locked in a cage with a woman. 
And they're raping the snot out of them in, a, in prison. And there is a list in California of 270 men who have now identified as women, hardened criminals, waiting to get in women's prisons. We have lost our minds. But know this, I am not making, don't think I am making a political statement. I am not. I am not. You say, well, what are you doing? I want you to know this. God is sovereign, even in chaos. Why? Why do I want you to know that? Here's why. Because the days are evil. And it is very probable. The Bible says that in the last days, they will grow even more wicked. And it is very probable we are in those last days. And it is very probable that the days are going to get more wicked and I want you to know God's plan of salvation is sovereign. He will bring it to pass even in the midst of chaos. So as things grow increasingly wicked, stand firm in your faith in Jesus Christ. Your redemption is at hand and God is faithful. He will bring his plan of salvation into existence, into reality. And Jesus Christ will return and he will judge the earth and he will rule and reign on the earth, just as he planned, just as he foretold from the beginning of time. I wish we had time to read Psalm 2. That's your homework. Go home and read it. And as uh, I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I'm, one of these days I'm going to learn how to do a sermon on time. Uh, thanks for hanging in there with me. Uh, uh, Here's what I know, that even though the world crazy, the craziness of the world grows, we don't have to participate in the cultural norms that will bring so much confusion and pain and suffering into our lives. We can stand firm on God's word, holding God's word in our heart and standing firm in faith and have victory over it all. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.